Well, it is. It was a beautiful day. Anybody get out on a beautiful day today? A few of you? Well, it's a beautiful day to me. All that rain after a while, well, we need rain. It's nice to have rain, but it gets old after a while. So last week we started this series entitled, Is There a Right Way and a Wrong Way to Live? And um, obviously, the conclusion from last week is, and was, there is a right way to live. And God has shown us that way. But tonight I want to build on that just a little bit more. And I want to use a modern day allegorical story to illustrate my point. Now I'm sure that the gentleman who wrote this story would not be excited that I'm using his story. You'll know why in a moment. But I'm going to use it. I promised myself I wouldn't see this movie, but my wife enticed me. And so last night and then today, I finished the movie Avatar. Yes, I did. I broke down. But you're going to be glad that I did. Because God does use all things. And He used this movie today for me to share my message. So, how many of you have seen the movie? All right, thousands of you there. That's great. Well, if you haven't, you'll know a little bit about the movie after I share this with you this evening to illustrate my point. See, so in this movie Avatar, which, by the way, it, it actually was pretty amazing. I didn't wear the 3D glasses or anything. I'm not a 3D kind of guy. My life's 3D enough that I don't need to put on the goofy glasses. Uh, but as a... <clears throat> what an imagination, what an extraordinary um, set of characters. But the premise of this movie is that there is this stunningly beautiful and extraordinary place, this planet called Pandora. And it is inhabited by a people called the Navai. And they are, <clears throat> in a sense, ruled and governed by Ewa, the mother goddess. And Ewa has given them her wisdom, and she has helped them understand how to live. And they have this extraordinary way of life, this beautiful Garden of Eden in which they live. They get along with one another, and they get along with all the plants, and they get along with all the animals. Well, most of them, there's a few pretty dangerous ones. <clears throat> But the sky people, that's us, <clears throat> we come and we bring our own ways. And they're selfish, of course. And we're after some particular natural resource that they don't really value, but we do. And we're bound and determined to get it however we can get it. For our own pleasure, for our own survival, for whatever it is we want to do. And so we seek to infiltrate the Navai through an avatar and a paralyzed marine named Jake Scully. The problem is, is that Jake, little by little by little, begins to see the light. He begins to see the selfishness of his own people, the sky people, and he begins to see the divine way in which the Navai carry out their lives. And, of course, it helps falling in love with one of the Navai, and thus you have the premise of the movie. Now, what's interesting about the movie, 
which made literally over a billion dollars worldwide <clears throat> and will probably make millions and millions more now that it's out in DVD, is that it's ironic that so many movie makers create in their own minds and in their own art, in some ways, the very reality of that which we live. And I want to explain that reality for you just for a moment. The fact of the matter is that we have a creator. His name is Jesus Christ. The Bible, in fact, tells us that God made the world and all that is in it through Jesus Christ. And God, through Jesus Christ, in His wisdom, has given us the way to live, the way to harmony, the way to be at peace with one another. He has given us rules and guidelines and commands and great insight in just how we ought to inhabit the earth, how we ought to care for the earth, how we ought to interact with one another. He's given us... <coughs> You know, if you saw the movie, you know that <coughs> when a couple mate or their mating marriage ritual, they're bonded for life. And we watch the movies and we think, oh, isn't that beautiful? Well, that's what God did. When we mate, when we marry, it was to be for life. And God has guidelines for those Marriages. And God had commands even for those marriages that they were to be fruitful and multiply. And God even told us that our offspring were a blessing. And the children were to be a blessing. And He gave us guidelines. Our Creator gave us wisdom how to raise our offspring. But man in his selfishness is slowly but surely defying the Creator and destroying the very fabric of our lives, morally, economically, politically, relationally, and even in many of the ways that we interact with the planet that God put us on. You see, God is no fool. Our Creator is no fool. He knows that we needed rain. He provided rain. He knew that most of the planet would need to be water or the oceans, and so it is. He knew that we'd need the sun. He knew exactly where to position the sun and how many millions of miles away from the planet so we had the right amount of heat and the right amount of cool so that we wouldn't fry or freeze. The other day I went to the store and I bought <clears throat> a jar of raw honey. I bought it for a purpose. I'm not going to get into the purpose, but I want to read you something that was on the jar. In order to gather nectar for a single pound of honey, bees make 50,000 to 75,000 trips to the hive averaging one to one and a half miles each bee, a distance equal to three times around the earth. Now, who would have thought of that? 
Do you realize how extraordinary your Creator is? This little bug that can bother you when you're out on a picnic, who provides honey for us to enjoy and for our health, for there are amazing health benefits to honey. Flying each bee an average of 50,000 to 75,000 trips to the hive. Averaging a mile to a mile and a half. Three times around the earth. And they're not dead when they're done. I wonder how you'd be after you made three trips around the earth. On your little legs. I could go through, I don't have the information with me tonight, but I could go through one extraordinary, extraordinary thing after another about God, the Creator. And yet, what have we systematically done? We have systematically denigrated God, obliterated God, and in our public little sanctuaries all across the nation called the school in which we meet, we teach our little ones through the investment of billions of dollars in the most extraordinary documentaries and films in the world that could actually be used to point the little Navi to the Creator, we tell them, wow, isn't it amazing what just happened by chance? And we undermine the Creator in their minds. And when you undermine the Creator in their minds... You open up a vast world of wretchedness and wickedness because there's no longer a rule maker. There's no longer one who rules over us and gives us the right way to live. And my friends, if you look across the world, you just take a, if you took three hours tomorrow afternoon and you went on Yahoo News, you went on De Spiegel in the English language, in Germany, if you went on Fox News or Drudge Report and you read and read and read, you would find the evidence after evidence of a society gone bad. Because we have defied the Creator. We have defied the Creator. And the most precious resource on our planet is human beings. And we are destroying them. They are being destroyed by their rebellion towards the Creator. They're being destroyed by the rebellion against morality. This is why last week, for example, I used the example of immorality, of sex outside of marriage. I talked about Tiger Woods. I could have talked about John Edwards. I talked about Sandra Bullock's husband. But let me tell you right now, no matter how much Tiger Woods is worth, it's not much comfort going home for Tiger anymore. He doesn't have a home to go home to. And everywhere around the world, he's known for what he really is. And he's never going to overcome that. John Edwards is never going to be able to overcome the fact that while his wife was potentially dying of cancer, he was carrying on with the campaign aid and had a child, illegitimate child, with her. And lied about it. We see whole societies that are being decimated because of their refusal to obey and submit to the Creator's wisdom about sex. 
And not only is there the rampant spread of STDs, of HIV, but there is the emotional and psychological breakdown of the human spirit because of rebellion against the Creator. God, you see, has given us, through Jesus Christ, He has shown us the right and the best way to live on His planet. And do you know what that way is? Biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is the best way to live. It is God's way instructing us in the ways of life, not in the ways of death. The Bible tells us, <coughs> excuse me, there's a way which seems right to a man, to mankind. There's a way we come up with, but it ends in death. It ends in death. <coughs> we have our ways. I, I could give so many examples of this, but, but let me give you a few. Let's take for a moment, I don't know, most of you don't, don't know this. But uh, 20 years ago, almost three quarters of the world was domi dominated by a political and sociological ideology called communism. And communism was sort of the brainchild of Marx and Lenin. And it was a way in which to live, a way in which to govern. At the heart of, one of the things at the heart of communism or even Nazism was the survival of the fittest and that the strong should rule the weak and that it does not matter how much blood is shed, all that matters is that utopia is achieved. And millions and millions and millions of lives just like you, just like yours, were slaughtered and ruined and devastated and destroyed and families separated, never seeing one another again. And gulags and concentration camps and there are still multitudes of those in China today. China, North Korea, <clears throat> and to some degree Venezuela are the last bastions of communism. And of course then... I won't get into that right now. These ideologies, and, and sometimes we become very numb. It's interesting, we become numb, but we become alive in a movie, a make-believe movie like the Navai. But Stalin really did that to people. He really did that to people. He slaughtered them. Millions upon millions upon millions of them. The Chinese are still doing it today. Kim Jong is still doing it today. Starving his people to death. Because of his godless ideology. And in America today, we have in the family a broken ideology. And a rebellion against the Creator. And the consequences are lots and lots of scarred children. Broken lives. 
who replicate more brokenness. And the only thing that can break that chain is when that young person, now follow me, becomes like Jake Scully. And in the very end of the movie, he's reborn to a Navai. And you become reborn to a child of the Creator. Because you've seen the light. And you look back and you see the whole world in which you and I live is wicked and evil and people are rebelling against God and you don't want to do that anymore. <coughs> and you decide, I'm turning to the Creator. <coughs> I'm going to join the Christians. The real Christians. <coughs> Those who are embracing biblical Christianity. And this, my friend, is why our message is so extraordinarily important. It's extraordinarily important. It's the most important message in the entire world. God's Word, the Bible, tells us <clears throat> from our Creator the right way to live. And He has every right to tell us. He designed us. He made you. He loves you. He cares about you. He has your best interest in mind. And there are consequences. Always there are consequences to the choices that we make. <clears throat> In Isaiah 28, I just want to show you for just a moment the impact that God has in our life. Listen to me. Listen and pay close attention. Does a farmer always plow and never sow? Is he forever cultivating the soil but never planting? Does he... Does he not finally plant his seeds? Black cumin, cumin, wheat, barley, and emmer wheat, each in its proper way and each in its proper place? The farmer knows just what to do, for God, the Creator, has given him understanding. A heavy sledge is never used to thresh black cumin. Rather, it is beaten with a light stick. A threshing wheel is never rolled on cumin. Instead, it is beaten lightly with a flail. Grain for bread is easily crushed, so he doesn't keep on pounding it. He threshes it under the wheels of a cart, but he doesn't pulverize it. The Lord of Heaven's armies is a wonderful teacher, and he gives the farmer great wisdom. <clears throat> All across our world, in different parts of the world, on each continent of the world, it's amazing how God has put unique things in each continent. Oil! It's not evil. God put oil in the ground. <coughs> and he taught man how to get that oil out. And God gave some man wisdom to know how to use it. Wind power is not evil. God taught some man how to harness it or some woman, some engineer. And it's useful. Solar is not evil, for God has taught someone how to harness the power of the sun. And we could go on and on and on. Today, <clears throat> there are more trees in America than before any of us got here. Did you know that? There's more forest today in the entire United States than there was before Christopher Columbus got here. Why? Because God in His wisdom <clears throat> showed the DNR and conservationists and logging companies, that for every tree they take out, they plant two. God is no fool. God made this planet. 
And God wants us to be good stewards of this planet. Some have thought, and I want to correct this misunderstanding, that because I don't believe, and I believe the data shows that human-caused global warming is a lie, is a ruse, with a political, socio-economic agenda of particular individuals to create a particular world order. That's a topic for another day. But never once have I ever stood on this stage and said, God wants us to neglect our planet, his planet, and this world, and be bad stewards of it. We're to be good stewards of it. But God gives us wisdom. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God gave us plants and also animals to feed on. One is not more holy than the other to be a vegetarian but to neglect the animal. For God has given us both. <coughs> and we could go on and on. Everything that significant matters in life, the Bible gives us instructions on. Blessed, the Bible says. Listen to this. Blessed, happy, and fortunate to be envied are the truly upright the sincere, and those who walk in the ways of God, <clears throat> who order their conduct and their conversation in the laws and wisdom of God. Blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are those who keep His testimonies, who seek and inquire of Him for Him and crave Him with their whole heart. And tonight, I want to touch briefly on this one question. <clears throat> what do you crave? What do you crave? Because you see, <clears throat> one of the things that the Creator wants you to understand, for your benefit, for the greatest possible spiritual and emotional and mental and even at times physical health, it starts with what you crave. Do you crave God? Do you want to know your Creator? I was struck again as I watched this movie, <clears throat> the reverence with which the Navai showed to Ewa. The reverence. There was a reverence. We just kind of go through life, don't we, flippant? We don't really show any reverence to the Creator. We, do, we rarely show deep reverence towards God. Towards God's ways? We'd rather do <clears throat> our own thing. We'd rather seek our own pleasure. And whenever we do, <clears throat> to the neglect of God, to the neglect of God, what we reap is bad fruit. What we reap is leanness of soul, leanness of spirit. And all of a sudden, we develop addictions or other idols in our life. It could be food, it could be sex, it could be lust, it could be greed, it could be un all kinds of out-of-control appetites in our life. Because we haven't set our appetite on God. David says in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God Earnestly I search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in a parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love 
is better to me than life itself. How I praise you. I will honor you as long as I live, lifting my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me, Lord, more than the richest of foods. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. I think how much you have helped me. I sing for joy in the shadow of your protecting wings. I follow close behind you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. You know the number one thing Jesus was looking for? When Jesus came to this earth, Jesus was looking for followers. Jesus was looking for those who would be with him, who would follow him closely and devote their lives to him, the creator, God. He is looking for the same thing today. You were made for that purpose. And you will never find your fulfillment, your meaning, your significance until you become a close follower of Jesus Christ. Until you decide to develop and choose the same mentality as David in this psalm. Where he says, I crave you, God. I crave you. My soul thirsts for you. My soul longs for you. I want God. That was a young man who was uh, 19 years of age when uh, a series of events happened in my life that frankly scared me into the arms of God. I guess that would be the best way to put it. I knew about God. I had a knowledge of Jesus Christ. I had some knowledge of the Bible, but I was really like the sky people in the movie Avatar. I was kind of after things on this planet that gave me pleasure. And I didn't care about the ways of God, the Creator. In fact, I tried to do as much in the opposite direction to what I knew He wanted whether it was my moral life or my mouth or my thoughts or my time, whatever. I did not want to go in God's direction. I went in my own direction. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that we're all like sheep. We've gone astray. We've each turned to our own way. But God has laid the iniquity of us all on His Son. And I'll get into that in the weeks to come. But his son became the payment for all of our wrongdoing. And he's the way in which we can have peace with God. You see, through Jesus, who created us, who also became our Savior. So I decided at 19, really no different than Jake Scully. I decided to turn my back on my people. And I was so struck when the major, you know, the real vicious guy who's commanding everybody to kill all the Navai, says, what made you turn on your own people? So I realized my own people were rebels against God. I realized my own people were leading us all astray. I realized my own people were anti-God and I needed to embrace God. In order to embrace God, I needed to leave them go to God and embrace the Navai, the Christians. And that's what I did. For 35 years I've done that. With every fiber of my being, with every passion of my soul, I've not not done it perfectly, but with everything that I can muster, I, I went after God. 
So I'm 19 years of age, right? <clears throat> and um, I'm not super smart. I don't know everything there is to know. I still don't. But here's what I knew. And I knew it in my gut, just like you do. I knew it in my gut. I knew that I need to seek God. I need to pursue God. You know what I used to spend my time pursuing? Women. That didn't mean that I got any. I'm not trying to say, you know, I was like the American gigolo. I was not. But I can honestly say, and I'm ashamed to say, that during my high school years and during my first summer out of high school, when I laid awake on my bed at night, I sure wasn't meditating on God. <coughs> I'd walk around making up songs about women. I had women on the brain. And you know what? It was my choice. It was my choice. I chose it. And I knew I was choosing it. And when I was 19, <coughs> and I came to God, I didn't need to go through some 50-step program, or through 200-step program, or a year. I knew in a day, in a moment, in an hour, I need to turn from those pursuits, and I need to pursue God. I knew a little bit about pursuing. All of us guys here we know about pursuing. It's not hard to figure out. I need to start thinking about God. I need to start spending time with God. I need to start dreaming about God. <coughs> I need to start fantasizing about God. I need to start talking to God. I need to go get alone with God. And I need to read what God has to say to me. <coughs> now maybe... <laughs> Maybe I was like Jay Scully in the movie. <clears throat> Maybe without knowing it, I was a special chosen one to land on the big bird to help set some of God's people free. You could say that. Some might believe that. I just think I'm just ordinary, just like you. But I made a decision and I realized the way I was going was wrong and I needed to go after what was right. <clears throat> and so, each afternoon, five days a week, when I get off my machinist job, I would go home to my apartment and I'd take a bath, didn't have a shower. <clears throat> I'd take a bath and get all the cutting oil fluid off my body and all the grease. I'd put it in my army pants. I had these army pants. I used to buy them at the Goodwill. Four Old Navy and all these places were selling them. There's the only place you could buy them. I'd put on my white t-shirts. I wore those all the time. Now they're black. I grabbed my leather fringe jacket, I grabbed my army backpack, I grabbed my Bible, a Mountain Dew, and Hostess Twinkie. I don't eat those anymore. So I'm learning the higher ways of God. <clears throat> and I would go on my 63 Ford Falcon, and I'd drive about five miles out of town to a place called Brushy Creek. I'd drive in this dirt road back in. I'd hide my car behind some bushes. <clears throat> and there was this circle area. No one ever came to it. And that's for me. I'd go with God. And I'd walk back and forth pace. Like I do here, but faster. I was younger. And I'd talk to God. 
And I'd say things like, God, just like Jake Scully today, when he plugged his hair in to Ewa. And he said, I don't know if you can hear me, God, but I believe you're there. But I'm asking you to do something. I'm asking you to help. I'm asking you to speak to me. I'm asking you to use me. I'm asking you to change my life. Change my life. Take away these evil desires that I have in my life. And give me new desires, God. (coughs) I know you're there. I see the trees. I see the grass. I see the sun. I love the outdoors. I've been to the Rocky Mountains, God. I know you're there. I know you made them. Speak to me. And then I begin to open his book. And I'd read it. I'd read it. A chapter. Two chapters. A book. I'll never forget when I came to this verse in the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 21. It had a lasting impact on my life. It says, Their leader will be one of their own. <clears throat> a leader will arise from among them. I will bring him near to me, and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. And I remember I was just 19 years of age as a young, young, young man. <clears throat> and I remember tears welling up in my eyes. And I'm just walking, just me and God, so I could just talk like I'm talking here. Nobody could hear. I was that way out. And I just say, God, I tell you, I will devote myself to be close to you. I want to know you. I long for you. I want you in my life. I want you more than I want anything else in life. And that's still been my prayer. Thirty-five years later, I want to know him. I want to be close to him. And the only way that happens is if you decide to crave him. And then if you go begin to feed that craving, and the craving grows. And then even when you go through the dry times, you don't let them stop you. You continue to go after Him because you realize man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of our Creator. He has the words of life. Then I remember as a young man when I married, and I started my family, and I went to my Creator, And I cried out to God, give me wisdom to raise these little ones. And I've got to tell you, your children are work. But I want to tell you, I I was looking the other day, my son wanted me to find some pictures for his wedding. And so I I went through a box. I have a box that has my name on it. It says, Dad's very important stuff. Do not mess with it. Something like that on the top of the lid, it says. And it's in a plastic waterproof tub. And inside that tub are all of Kathy's old track pictures and her track records and and an old one album that I have of mine from years ago. And boxes and boxes of pictures of my family to my kids. And I I was just going over them really fast to find his, but I'd find this, I'd see that. All these memories. I mean, our family... There was something so special that God did in our lives. And I can tell you, we weren't perfect. And I'd be glad to tell you some of the challenges that I faced. And, and mostly, I faced with me. You know, my own evil instincts. Who kept wanting me to drag me back that way while I was trying to go after my Creator. But oh, did God show us wisdom. And oh, did God bless us. And oh, did God move in our lives in such a profound, profound way. I will go back and do it all again. 
And really, and I can say this, God is my witness. I really wouldn't change a thing, except I just wish there was less flesh in me. But the principles that he showed us, the wisdom that he gave us, <clears throat> I'd do it again and again and again and again. When I look at my marriage, just celebrating 31 years, has there been struggles? Yeah. And the primary reason is because we're not yet completely like Christ. But other than that, God has just shown us so much joy and closeness between us as Kathy and I have been on this shared mission following God. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Listen to me very carefully. I don't care what you've heard. I don't care what background you grew up in. There is a right and a wrong way to live. And biblical Christianity that you'll find in the Bible is the right way to live. God loves you. God cares about you. And God is never intended to withhold anything from you. And there is even a new world coming that God wants you to be part of. I'd like you to come back next week and we'll um, continue this series with some other things that I think will really help you. But I'd like you to bow your heads and I'd like to really challenge you <clears throat> tomorrow. Tomorrow is supposed to be 77 degrees approximately. It'll probably be a little sunny, a little cloudy. But I want to encourage you to do something maybe you've never done before. Now, if you're a mother with small children, you might be able to, be able to do this. Maybe your husband can go for a while, then he can let you go for a while. But I want to really encourage you to find a place to get away tomorrow with your Creator and talk to Him and determine in your heart, I want God. Because the right way to live starts and ends with what you crave. And if you don't crave God, and if you don't feed that craving, and if you don't develop that craving, you will miss the right way to live. And then what will end up happening is you'll look for substitutes because your body will be craving something and you will always end up settling for something that in time will ruin and adversely affect your life. Father, just thank you tonight for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are the creator of all things. You are the creator of every single person in this room. And Lord, you've given us <clears throat> your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit who lives inside of us when we come to Christ to guide us, to lead us, and to lead us through your word into the pathway of life. Oh God, I pray that we take these things seriously. They're so, so important. The Bible says to neglect you is to hate life. And to embrace death. To turn our back on your word, you said, is to do yourself irreparable harm. Guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.